Welcome to the 34th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm your host, Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Unfortunately, modern industrial agriculture has made farming into a bit of a one-trick pony. Here in the Midwest, the majority of cropland produces monocultures of corn and soybeans, and not much else. This narrowly focused type of agriculture has produced record yields of raw commodities. But these yields have come with some steep environmental, economic, and even social price tags attached. A recent paper in the journal Science argues that we can make farming more multifunctional, and thus more sustainable. By adding perennial plant systems such as grass, for example, agriculture can produce multiple benefits, maintain the paper's 14 co-authors. The researchers examined the results of numerous studies that have been done in farm country in recent years and concluded that diversifying agriculture could produce many benefits for our rural communities. For example, establishing more pasture-based livestock production systems would keep soil in place and protect water quality while providing wildlife habitat. In addition, since pasture-based livestock systems have proven to be low-cost, profitable ways of producing meat and dairy products, this type of farming can help build and maintain wealth in local communities. Finally, grass-based livestock systems are creating a buzz in the health and nutrition community because of their ability to produce a healthier food product. That's one example of multifunctional agriculture. The science paper's authors argue that it is imperative we take a serious look at the role perennial plant systems can play in a multifunctional agriculture, as society increasingly looks to annual row crop agriculture to fulfill its energy needs. Corn ethanol is all the rage these days, and although biofuel made from annual crops such as corn can be a good interim step, focusing exclusively on this as the answer to our energy needs will likely exacerbate the environmental, economic and social problems associated with an all-out production of one or two row crops. But, the science paper concludes, perennial plant systems could help us develop a sustainable bioeconomy. One option that is being explored is using diverse stands of prairie grass to produce cellulosic biofuels. Since these grasses don't have to be replanted and can be grown year after year with few inputs, they could produce energy quite efficiently. Meanwhile, they could produce many other benefits, such as cleaner water, wildlife habitat, trapping of greenhouse gases, and cheap livestock feed. I talked with one of the science paper's authors, George Booty, about how a multifunctional agriculture based on perennial plants might fit in with our current farming system. Booty is the executive director of the Land Stewardship Project and has been very involved with research into multifunctional agriculture in Minnesota and Ohio. So, George, in this paper, you examined studies that, uh, that found the economic and environmental advantages of ag systems that include perennials. Um, I was wondering, on a practical level, if you could describe what these systems might look like on the land if we were going to establish them today. What, 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 what kind of systems are we talking about? Well, if you, if you look on the side of the, of the uh, Lando Lakes trucks driving down the highway, you can get an, a picture. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, cows, of, the cows in the pasture. Cows in the pasture is one of those uh, one of those examples. Um, that sounds like an old system, but really it's a it's a, a modern day uh, improvement on on what was some sensible approaches in the past. After all, cows have stomachs that can digest grass, and they're unusual in that regard. And so that's a ter- that's a big advantage that that farmers uh, can take a, 
can utilize. Hmm. And one of the ways that they're doing that is through what's called rotational grazing systems. And um, in those, um, there are smaller what's called paddocks on the land, and farmers move their cows sometimes more than once a day in the active growing season so that, that those plants never get eaten. They not, it never looks like a golf course. It looks like kind of a lush garden, and um, the plants regrow, and um, they can be harvested several times a season by those cows. Uh, another example is, is one that might be uh, coming along in the future, and that would be growing perennial systems for cellulosic energy use. And in that, we could imagine that native prairie systems with multiple species, including some of the grasses like switchgrass or big blue stem and uh, smaller flowering plants would be harvested for at the after the end of the growing season for either burning or digestion into ethanol. Those are a couple of examples. I think another set of examples might be not only perennials but more mixed annual species on the land where instead of just having crops like corn and soybeans growing you actually have a longer rotation of crops that might include some small grains and occasionally alfalfa or clover. And um, those systems historically were proven pretty effective for protecting the land and providing wildlife habitat and, and they can work again and studies consistently show that they're economically viable too even though uh, it seems like that's not really talked about. Uh-huh. Well, in this this paper, you kind of present this as a part of a larger idea called multifunctional agriculture. Can you talk a little bit about, um, I think it might be a surprise to a lot of people that they say, well, agriculture is there to produce food, and uh, a pretty big departure from what we're seeing with agriculture right now, or why wouldn't we consider it something that's multifunctional right now? Well, it's the idea behind multiple functions is, is really just that, that there's no question that one of the primary purposes we have agriculture for is to grow food for us to eat. Uh, as we're seeing now, it can also grow energy. It can also produce materials that are used in industrial products. Just about any kind of oil or plastic can be produced from agriculture, from plants, uh -huh. as well as from oil. And I, I think um, we'll be seeing more of that in the future here. Those are some of the more practical economic um, functions, if you will. But in addition to that, uh, agriculture can protect water quality. For example, the EPA in southeastern Minnesota has approved rotational grazing, back to that example we were talking mm -hmm. about before, as a practice that can help reduce fecal coliform pollution from animal manure in the streams in southeastern Minnesota, and those rivers are impaired for that. So that's an example of, of one of those other functions. Another one is that, uh, particularly when we have perennial species on the land, that can be good for grassland bird species like bobolinks and dixisles. So providing habitat for growing those birds is another function. Perennial spe uh, plants in particular are good at storing, uh, building up organic matter in the soil, and organic matter is now called carbon right. <laughs> and carbon sequestration. Uh, it, it can provide that function as well as when you're when you're growing uh, perennial plants um, and um, and some of these kind of mixed rotations, you tend to reduce fertilizer use. That re that tends to reduce nitrogen oxides released into the air that are greenhouse gas 
additions to the greenhouse gases. Well, we've we've um, when I say we, it's a, a real combination of university researchers, um, government agencies, policymakers, and big agribusiness companies have asked farmers to produce more limited number of crops. Mm -hmm. And farmers have done that. They've done what they've been asked to do. But I think one of the reasons that we've done that is we've misperceived what agriculture is. And it's, it's very fundamentally a biological system. And we've wanted to treat it more like an industrial system. Yeah. And what industries focus on is producing a particular set of products and in the maximum volume that they can get in the minimum, minimum amount of time. And that's how we've treated agriculture. So we've come to this point where we're emphasizing a few particular commodities. And those commodities then are used for many different purposes. But here's an example of the complexity that that comes back, and that is with uh, conservation tillage, which has widely been viewed as 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 one way of mitigating some of the harmful harmful uh, uh, byproducts of growing corn and soybeans, right. for example, or wheat and other things. Um, what research is just beginning to suggest is that um, conservation, one of the unintended impacts of conservation tillage is that it is uh, kind of stratifies phosphorus in the upper levels of the soil. And um, researchers in Ohio at Heidelberg University have been monitoring water quality from northwestern Ohio streams for a long time, and mm -hmm. they have very good data. And it turns out that in the last 15, 20 years or so, we're seeing an increase in the dissolved fraction of phosphorus runoff. <laughs> And um, some research is beginning to suggest that on poorly drained soils, when you get rainfall, now you're getting a release of, of soluble phosphorus, which algae can use right away. Right, right. Um, and the phosphorus that we've normally thought about is uh, called particulate phosphorus, which is tied to soil particles, and that's not uh, a, just a portion of that's available immediately for algae. So this is an unintended impact. For example, um, dead zones have returned to Lake Erie, despite the fact that we've that we've reached their phosphorus reduction goals. Huh. People don't know exactly why yet. Yeah. But well, again, we s certainly here in the Midwest, on a local level, see results of that phosphorus overload in our smaller lakes with the blue-green algae growth and the, you know the. It's a huge issue, and in fact, um, there's a big emphasis or big project going on right now by the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency to set TMDLs for Lake Pepin. Uh-huh. That's well, total. Is TMDL total maximum daily load? Total maximum daily load. It's uh, it's um, under the Clean Water Act. And and so if a, if a water body is found to be impaired for its function, um, like wildlife or recreation, then a, a load is set to reduce the... the uh, the pollutant that's impairing that function. Yeah. And so for Lake Pepin, the two pollutants basically are thought to be phosphorus and sediment. And at current rates of sediment deposition into Lake Pepin, if it continues this way, um, it would be filled up in 300 years. Right. Wow. Well, you know, I think sometimes when people, uh, when the general public or even the agricultural public thinks about agriculture producing environmental benefits, often what they think of is more along the lines of a retirement program like the Conservation Reserve Program, which sets aside land for, say, 10 years, 
lets grass and perennial uh, plants grow on there and really protects that land. But there's no uh, there's no food being produced there. There's no economic uh, activity there other than the money that the farmer gets paid by the government for retiring it. This what you're talking about in this these studies is more of a working lands type benefit that that you're actually producing economic benefit on there, producing food, actively farming it, and still getting environmental benefits. That's a little bit of a departure there, isn't it? It is, and um, uh, set-aside programs like the Conservation Reserve Program is one that people might have heard of are important, but um, we really think that a program like the Conservation Security Program that addresses working lands in this way is, is critical because... Uh, there's lots of people in the world that need to eat, and, and we obviously have a lot of energy demands that we're seeing put upon agriculture now. And yeah. if we're going to balance all of these, we're going to need land in production in ways that, but still in ways that protect the land for the long-term future. Because the last thing we want to do as a society is use up our land, if you will, and those resources and not have it available for our children or their their children and and future generations. Yeah, and just to remind people, the Conservation Security Program, it sounds like the Conservation Reserve Program, but it's different in that it pays farmers for actively farming that land and producing environmental benefits. It does, and it's unique in that it uh, in order for farmers to get into that particular conservation program, they need to have demonstrated... Uh, at least a, a basic level of stewardship to get into it. And the other programs sort of pay people to uh, stop doing what they're doing. Yeah. This program uh, pays people for those environmental services we were talking about earlier. And that's really a different signal. Yeah. And that's very important. And as well, it, it urges them to continue to improve. Because not too many farmers I know would ever say that they've achieved their goals right sustainability is something we're always learning more about no yeah. not a not a state we can achieve yeah. and then, but you feel comfortable <laughs> we're there it's a continue continuum there it yeah. is and and science is part of that you know we're uh, one would hope we'll always be learning to <laughs> that uh, we can do better and learning how we can do better well and that kind of leads us to one of the things you talk about in in this paper is that uh, government policy has really especially our commodity uh, programs that pay farmers to raise just a handful of commodities, has really driven the single-mindedness of current ag systems where it's it's really focused on this raw commodity uh, production at all costs type of mentality. But uh, you talk about one of, the, one of the ways to deal with this is creating kind of a research and development system uh, where we look at agriculture from a multifunctional viewpoint. Um, I, I think you had talked, you even put a number on there, you said you could do it for $20 million, which sounds like a lot of money, but when you consider uh, uh, recently we spent as much as $24 billion uh, in farm payments for the current system, it's really a drop in the bucket. It, can you describe what what this might look like, what kind of a research and development setup we have? And I know you've been involved with kind of uh, research already that we've done here in Minnesota on some watersheds. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Well, some of the research that we've done, as well as other scientists, have been trying to look at a, as 
in addition to just a farm, individual farm and by individual farm level, what would happen at a watershed level at or a larger landscape level if we were able to make changes? And what will it really be required to solve these big problems like the hypoxia zone or the dead zone in the uh-huh. Gulf of Mexico that sometimes is 8,000 square miles or more? Right. And scientists and the EPA agreed that we need to reduce nitrogen in the in in the stream by 30% in order to significantly reduce the size of that. And phosphorus is another contributor, and particularly in the dead, maybe to the dead zone in Lake Erie. Dead zones are happening around the world, so yeah. it's not just here. Right. Uh, it's happening in the Chesapeake as well. So the, the question then becomes, what do we need to do at a, looking at it at a landscape level to really help achieve these changes as well as reach local goals and provide wildlife habitat and 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 so on and um, that's where we think it's a combination of in providing additional incentives for farmers because as you mentioned um, we do have programs in place uh, like the the commodity programs part of the farm bill that that reduce the risk of growing these single commodities right and uh, and there's very good markets for them, and there's a lot of research behind them. So it's a big step for a farmer to to move out of those systems. Mm-hmm. And um, we need some research in terms of what are the kinds of economic incentives that will help m- mitigate the financial risk in their minds. Where in the landscape do we we especially need perennial systems, for example, in order to solve these goals? Because it's not like we're all the corn and soybeans need to disappear. That's not right, the point. Right. Right. Um, so, where on the landscape, and making sure that we measure the results and learn how how we help farmers kind of predict the results, so that eventually we can we can pay them on the basis of the environmental services that they provide uh-huh. to society. So. We're kind of we need to look at all of those segments to it, and, and these are inherently it has to be economically viable. So we have to look at it in terms of economic enterprises. So can the can the um, the pasture systems produce organic milk? Right. Can we have grass finished beef or hogs raised on multiple species and bedded in straw? Um, and can we design the systems that will use cellulosic energy from perennials in a viable way at a community energy scale, mm-hmm. for example? Uh, this discussion about the the uh, the possibility of agriculture being more more multifunctional is really timely with this whole big push and all this excitement around ethanol using crops for biofuels. Uh, you know, I know one of the things that people are talking about is, yeah, we'll do cellulosic, and that means using the corn stalks to make fuel. And there's a little bit of concern out there that that then will remove all the cover on the land. Not only will you remove the grain, but you'll remove the, the plant material left over, and so it'll be bare soil. So it seems like this is particularly time, uh, timely to be talking about, okay, let's step back a little bit and look at, not just some people might say, well, yeah, we're looking at multifunctional. We're saying it can produce fuel and food, but you're talking about a much bigger picture there. We are. For example, we did some uh, modeling research in Ohio, similar to what we had done in Minnesota earlier, and uh, in the in northwestern Ohio in the Sandusky River watershed, and we we looked at what the impact would be if 25 percent of the acres that are uh, 
uh, now in soybeans went to corn and it did so without going into conservation tillage and it would increase sediment loads and phosphorus loads into Lake Erie, for right. example. Uh, we also looked at the idea, well, what, what if there were um, fields on both sides of the streams, 500 feet wide at least, that were being harvested for cellulosic energy production? And that would significantly reduce sediment, phosphorus, and, and nitrogen losses. So um, it's really important to look at this, mm -hmm. and we do need to look at it in a broad way because we've lost so much habitat in the United States already. For more on the science article on multifunctional agriculture, see the June 15, 2007 edition of the journal at www.sciencemag.org. That's sciencemag.org. For more on multifunctional agriculture research, see www.landstewardshipproject.org and follow the links to our Multiple Benefits of Agriculture and Pasture-Raised Livestock page. That's Multiple Benefits of Agriculture and Pasture-Raised Livestock. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member and would like to support us, go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening. <laughs>